0: Kira and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Cathy O'Sullivan, the editor for CIO New Zealand. And my guest today is Dan Wilkinson. Dan is the chief technology officer at MTF Finance. Hello, Dan. How are things in Dunedin today?
1: Morning, Cathy. Um, Things are good. Bit of a cold start, but the sun is coming out and the hills are looking beautiful as always. So, yeah, it's looking like a good day.
0: Great, great to hear. Um, So MTF Finance, um, can you tell us a little bit more about the organization and your role there and what your team looks after?
1: Sure, sure. So I've been with NTF Finance since September last year, so uh, not too long. And one of the things that drew me to the business was um, the, the fact that it's it's a, it's a 100% New Zealand owned, which is something that's really important to me uh, personally. Um, and it's got a heritage dating back to 1970. Um, and what we do essentially is really simple. We provide finance solutions to New Zealanders. Through primarily through our 51 franchises and um, hundreds of motor vehicle dealers who work with us, um, and also some of our partners like TradeMe, for example. So um, you know, lots of variety in how we we uh, we support New Zealanders, um, and this has helped us grow over the years to a business with assets of over um, 830 million, and growing really really quickly as well. So it's an exciting time to be at NTF Finance in the technology space. We're um, in the process of launching new products and new partnerships, and there's a lot of new stuff happening. Um, so it's uh, it's it keeps us busy, um, but I think all the time we're staying true to the core of who we are. Um, you know, we're ultimately people helping people, and we really try and bring that out in how we deliver service. Um, but we're powered in the back end by a really unique and world class funding model and um, increasingly customer centric technology. So um, I could not have joined at a better time, and so uh, it's 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 exciting.
0: Now, you've held a variety of senior technology roles in you know a variety of companies, both here in, in New Zealand and overseas, and, and transformation, that word's thrown around a lot, you know, as if it's just a given, it's just something that just happens, but we know it's not that easy to do. So can you talk us through how that approach has taken shape within your own career?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a it's a word that's bandied around a lot and um and it becomes a bit, you know, sometimes a little bit tiresome, but um I think really tra- the the need for transformation seems to come from sort of two opposing forces, if you like. The, the 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 notion of a changing market and changing customer expectations meaning we need to be increasingly nimble as a business and and change how we how we do what we do. But also um, perhaps a technology ecosystem that is quite resistant to that type of change and, and it gets to the point where the tension between those two things becomes so great um, that we, we have to do something dramatic to, to change um, and, and I often think that you know digital transformation is often seen or transformation is often seen as a technology thing um, which of course it is, but really it's about changing attitudes in the business to technology and technology change and teaching the business to value different things about how we manage our, our own technology. Um, and that's why it's hard. You know, um, putting in a new system is is not in itself hard. Changing mindsets, changing values, um, those things are really hard and complicated. Um, so I, I mean, how, how I like to work there is to, to be very, very collaborative, very out there in the organization, um, making very, very visible change to how people feel when they come to work. Um, so, you know, it, it often comes down to, you know, what is that experience when you come into the office and you sit down and you turn on your computer? Does that feel good? Does it feel technologically enabled? Um, and if you can sort of make real changes to that kind of operating fabric of the business, I kind of feel that it gives you a little bit more license to get a bit more transformative and, and to really start to take the organization forward in quite big strides. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult because, because it's about changing how people think.
0: So walking back then from that end product of transformation, whether it is a new system or overhauling the business completely, what do you think are some of the key steps CIOs must take along the way? You know, is there ever just a starting point to to kick off a transformation?
1: I, I love i love the i love the, the question because it cuts right to the heart i think of the challenges that a lot of businesses have with with this um it is so easy to talk about this and it's so easy to design what you might do but it is so hard to actually start um and, and it almost feels like the current state has a kind of a gravity that is really hard to escape right and um, uh, i've seen this happen in what four or five different organizations um, so far and it needs it needs a sort of an ignition point to kickstart that transformation. And that ignition point kind of almost needs to be something unavoidable. And, you know, you might create that for yourself or or you might be lucky enough to have it thrust upon you. Um, You know, in my my previous role, for example, what kickstarted transformation there was the need to exit a core operating system with it by a specific date. And we didn't have a choice. We just had to get off off that system. And so that catapulted a program of transformation. Um, For us, here at MTF, um, we we have announced an acquisition of a digital broker called The Lending People in the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, that's That's been in the pipeline for a very, very long time. And, and I feel that may well be the catalyst for us um, to really shift into a very different gear as a business. There's a huge opportunity in, in that acquisition.
0: So any change can be hard. Um, and you know, as humans, we're, you know, we're hardwired to to be scared of change. So what are some of those kind of common challenges or roadblocks that CIOs must be aware of and either try and avoid along the way or just have a plan in place for how to tackle them?
1: Mm, yeah, it's it's a it's a hard one really. I think um the uh, the biggest roadblock in my experience, as you sort of said, it, it's ourselves. Um, but it's 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 through the entire organisation that change in mindset needs to happen. Um, so you know, it's um, from the board to the exec to the front line it can be really hard to acknowledge that the way I think about this business is part of the problem. Um, but I think once we sort of get people across that line um you know things start to flow a little bit but we have to be mindful that people are people and that happens in fits and starts and unevenly across the organization and we have to be prepared to 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 sort of nudge a little bit but to let people get there in their own in their own time Um, it's it can be really really challenging if i look at someone for example in a frontline role who's been doing the same thing for maybe 15 years And they've been taught that they're valued because they do that same thing really well. And now we're going to change that thing. Um, It's not surprising that that's really challenging and that notion of change is quite frightening. Um, So I think wrapping ourselves around our people, if you like, wrapping that support around them and trying to teach them that they're valued not because they can press a button and press buttons in a certain sequence, but they're valued because of the outcomes they deliver. And maybe through technology change, we can make that better or easier or faster, um, you know, those are the sort of cultural themes that I think are really useful to develop in, in, uh, in a, when we're executing some transformative change.
0: So when it comes to transformation, do you like to see it as, you know, an evolution and just an ongoing thing? Or should transformation be viewed as a project with, you know, clear milestones and deliverables? Where, where do you stand on that spectrum?
1: I'm, I'm, I'm kind of 50-50, if I'm honest, because I, I, I get that often, and this isn't the same for every business, right, but often it is that change in delivery methodology from, from sort of big bang, start, middle, end project, right, we're done, dust our hands off and walk away, um, into something that is a little bit more product-driven and a bit more customer-driven and a bit more continuous and iterative. Um, I, I, I feel... That we should sort of move in pursuit of that that latter paradigm, um, and we can never say that transformation is finished. I mean, when could you ever say, right, we're done? Now we can go back to being, you know, boring again? Um, but um, you know, it's I, I feel that you kind of need some sort of structure at the start to get some of those big shifts happening, and sometimes something a little bit more projecty can feel like that. Even if it's just the fact that we're celebrating some really big milestones as we hit them. Um, and then after, after those sort of big shifts start to happen, we can get more into that continuous, more into that um, iterative delivery. Um, but but I, it's a, it, I think the approach is whatever is most appropriate for the organization's culture and the cultural shift that we're trying to get happening. Um, and sometimes, yeah, you need to provide more of a framework to that uh, in the early days
0: and in those high change organizations i mean what what's the best way of dealing with change fatigue whether it only, you know whether it be with your your it team itself or with the wider organization how do you manage that you know getting people to embrace change ra- rather than fear it um it's
1: it's a it's an interesting one because i think um the change fatigue i think comes when people are not Familiar with change at that scale and at that frequency, um, and I think it comes from. I think you've got to unpack why why people find that challenging. And, and there's there's um, there's sort of personal personal reasons, like I touched on before. You know, that sort of you changing, are you changing how you value me as an individual? That can be quite challenging. But I think in, the, in terms of that frequency of change it's it's a it's about making sure that that change is not necessarily done to somebody it's it's in response to a demand and it's it, it's something that's perceived as having value um, I mean you know when when you get a, a an update on your phone for example um, a lot of people I know are super excited about that it's kind of like ooh, you know you know what new stuff is this going to bring how is this going to make my life easier what kind of value can i get out of it um, but uh, and I think if we could translate that sort of excitement into an organization, I think that would be great. Comes down a lot to the communication around these sorts of things. Um, you know, the, the level of support that we put around that change. Um, but I, I think, again, maybe, maybe that's one of the key outcomes of a successful uh, digital transformation is changing that mindset from um, I'm, uh, this, this amount of change is overwhelming to this amount of change is super exciting.
0: So then, as CTO at MTF Finance, you know you're you're new into your role five months. So, in what ways are you collaborating and influencing the organization and, and its leadership team?
1: Um, I, I, I I wish I knew, <laughs> but I I think um, I how I sort of approach this is collaborating and influencing for me are actually the same thing um, and through really close collaboration with my colleagues on the executive team here and, and with our, our board as well, um, I, I think we are jointly moving in, in the same sort of direction. Um, and that, that's a that's a, a useful thing, sort of mindset to have really. It's not really me trying to persuade people. Um, it's us sort of jointly discovering what the right thing to do is. So um, I do try and really take the time to um, understand each business unit and the challenges they're facing, um, and where this business is going to go in the in the long term, and try and work with as many people as I possibly can um, to try and build that roadmap of how we're going to move forward. So, so this isn't Dan's idea of how we're going to move forward as a business. This is a collective notion, um, and it's it's perhaps very product led and customer led in its thinking but it will be very technology-driven in how we execute. Um, and, and I think that that takes a, a very collaborative kind of whole of business conversation to, to, to happen to make it work.
0: Now, the pandemic brought technology into sharp focus for a lot of organizations and indeed how people use technology, both as, as businesses and as customers. So how do you think the role of CIO has changed since the pandemic?
1: Um, I, I think it shifted enormously actually. Um, I, um, uh, personally, I felt that um, during the pandemic, um, particularly in Auckland where we're, we were all working from home for such a very, very long time, it felt like a lot of what we as technologists have been doing for a while, you know, moving stuff to the cloud, enabling collaboration tools, um, getting stronger around business continuity planning and things like that. Those things sort of became really valuable to people. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was fortunate to be in an organization where we had already made a number of those shifts, literally months before um, having to go into lockdown. So we were able to do that quite seamlessly. I know others weren't so fortunate, but um, I think it, it's there's perhaps a renewed understanding of what a technology team is really here to do. Um, And we're here to help and we're here to anticipate the needs of the business. And when we do that, well, you know, it's, it's it's a fantastic thing. So I think if anything, it's placed more accountability on CIOs, CTOs and their teams um, to continue to anticipate what the business is going to need um, and to continue to enable and, and sort of keep safe those very, very collaborative ways of working. So um, on, a, on, a, on a day-to-day basis, um, we need to continue to be that enabling force. I mean, we've seen what we can do in a crisis. So um, how do we step up in that way on a, on a day-to-day, everyday basis?
0: Now the role of CIO, CTO, CDO, you know, it is evolving and it will be a different landscape depending on what industry or what business you're in. But what do you think are some of the key attributes of a modern-day CIO when it comes to leadership?
1: Um, I, I think today you you still need to be a bit of a crystal ball type expert you know you you need to understand the business and its strategy to a level and a depth of detail that you can successfully anticipate where it's going to be what its needs are going to be in three to five years time um, you know organization organizational change is, is a, a constant and it's it's um, it's happening faster than it than ever before but technology cycles are still relatively slow in terms of our ability to build capability around newer technologies and new, newer systems and platforms and things. So when it comes to the point where an organization such as ours, for example, says, right, now is the time for us to really get, get into artificial intelligence, for example, um, I need to have spent the last couple of years building a really, really solid data governance, data management, data architecture to really be able to fuel that. Um, and I think that point in time is not the time to start that. So there's it's, it's kind of a bit of um, you know, like I say, crystal ball gazing, really getting a sense of where the business is going to be, and starting us on the path to achieve a level of capability that at that point it'll, in time it will be really useful. Um, so that was one piece. The second piece is something I would discuss with you know a, a, a number of my peers is, is is the art of the hustle. Um, you know, really passive technology leaders are really good at maintaining the current state and just keeping things going. And there's, there is a place for that. Absolutely. But I think transformative leaders are the ones who are out there in the business, hustling, influencing, driving, inspiring towards the roadmap that we're creating together. Um, and that needs a really interesting blend of sort of determination, but also patience and things like empathy and the ability to bring uh, credibility and approachability in equal measure um, to, to every conversation. So I think those are probably the two things that, I, that I'd, I'd, I'd um, venture there is that you've got to be able to predict the future and anticipate it and build to it. You've got to be able to hustle.
0: Absolutely, love the hustle. Um, so, another pressure um, I think facing all CIOs and CTOs at the moment is is around um, you know pressures around not enough resources, not enough staff. You know, we, we're we're hearing more and more about this competition for IT talent. So, how are you creating that internal culture in your organization that really helps your people thrive and, and feel connected?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, the market is pretty brutal out there. And, um, I think during the, during the, the time at which the borders were closed, I think we by some estimations we we fell behind in the technology sector by over 20,000 heads. So um we're we're really we're really seeing that impact in the market. But I think internally um it drives perhaps more accountability into making, into sort of really lifting your team up. Um and, you know, the the key for me in that respect is um, things like I know diversity and inclusion are often talked about. You know, again, like transformation, right? They're terms that are bandied around, but I think it's about making sure that there is that sense of psychological safety in the team, where diverse viewpoints, diversity of thought, um, is invited and is valued, and that that way we kind of raise the conversation up for everybody, really. Um, a culture where, where learning is okay and, and questions for learning are okay. And, um, you know, checking out ideas there that might seem quite left field is is encouraged and valued. Um, that really helps sort of train a thought pattern, I think, into, into people that's really, really positive and valuable. Um, practically, um, one of the measures that we, we will be adopting here at MTF is um, measuring time spent on personal development and actually creating a team KPI around that. Um, so um, it kind of creates space for that in an environment that, you know, technology delivery is an environment that is not friendly to personal development because, you know, it's, it's deliver, deliver, deliver. But if we had a KPI around that that said, you know, there are, there are certain hours in the week that are sacrosanct and you must be learning in those times, um, I think that feels like a really good way to go. Um, and, you know, basic leadership hygiene around development plans and stuff like that, just making sure we're really looking after our people as best as we can. Um, that feels like a good way to go, but surprisingly not that widespread. Um, and I'd probably finish by sort of saying that, yeah, I, I think, uh, one of the problems with in-house technology teams is they can be quite inwardly focused. Um, you know, we can get really absorbed in how we do stuff and what we're doing and the technologies we're working with. Um, and there's value in that, but we do need some exposure to the outside world. So we've got to get out there into the industry and, and, and engage in those kind of industry forums and conferences and events. Um, and bring back what we can, um, what has value into the, into our team. So, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's a constant, iterating uh, challenge. You know, how do we how do we best develop our people so that we're not quite so reliant on a very very stressed market?
0: So you touched on this a little bit there, but you know, diversity is important in terms of high performing teams. It's been shown the more diverse your team is, the better performing it is. What practical things do you think can be done to attract more people from a wider community, um, whether that be gender, you know, um, people, people's different backgrounds? How do we get more people to consider IT as a career here in New Zealand?
1: Um, I, I think, oh, I'll ask the question perhaps a little bit, a little bit obtusely perhaps. I think there's an awful lot being done um, at sort of grassroots level, in kind of education and, um, and and sort of tertiary education, and right back down into into in primary schools now, um, to really try and get that diversity into the into the candidate set, if you like, um, and that's fantastic. It looks looks like some of those results are very very real, um, and I think if we keep this up, maybe we'll sort of see this as a generational issue that's becoming better, you know, every every year. That said. Um, responsibility as an employer to that is absolutely critical. And I think um, uh, even smaller organisations absolutely need to be exploring things like graduate schemes, internships, even if we're only talking about a head or two here and there, um, whatever we can do to try and make use of all of that effort that's being put into the education space um, to bring people into the workforce and, and demonstrate that, you know, the, the technology sector well, is is not sort of naturally <laughs> um, as lacking in diversity as it is, has certainly has been in the past. So, um, I mean, to get to a point where I, I think a lot of people sort of say, "Wouldn't it be great if our workforce reflected the workforce, in, you know, the broader community in terms of its diversity?" I think that would be fantastic. But I think employers do need to take some responsibility to that. Um, one practical step that um, that I take as well is in um, during the recruitment process um, setting some very clear expectations about the diversity in that candidate set Um, too often i hear technology leaders say well you know all i had offered to me were a bunch of white guys and you kind of go well did you have that conversation with the recruiter to say you know field me a diverse array of candidates and the answer is almost invariably no Um, so maybe that's your problem
0: Absolutely, definitely one to keep an eye on. And um, so, when you reflect back on your own career, then Dan, are there any mistakes that, when you look back on them, even though they might be a bit uncomfortable to think about, they really shaped you as a leader, and you've really learned from them and benefited from them in hindsight?
1: Yeah, yeah, oh heaps. Um, uh, I and, and I'm, I'm kind of giggling to myself a little bit because um, any any of my previous team members or colleagues watching this will probably have a list of like 10 each that they could think of. Um, but look, um, the, the, there's a lot of things that I would have retrospectively have done a bit differently. But I think if I, if I sort of sum those things up into themes, um, there's a really key theme there around um, learning where to trust my instincts and learning where to listen to my team um, and most of the things that I look back on and think, no, that didn't really quite go as well as it could have done. It's where I've kind of missed that balance a little bit. Um, and, um, you know, some some of those opportunities where I sort of think, well, maybe I wish I'd pushed my team out of their comfort zone a bit more, or, or maybe maybe even I wish I'd taken their counsel a little bit more to heart. It's a really tough balance strike. But I think as a, as a leader, it's um, that, I think, is probably where you come unstuck more than anything else. Um, so, so, yeah, tricky one, but I think that's what's at the heart of most of the things that I wish had gone a bit differently.
0: So what advice would you give to someone who was aspiring to be a CIO or CTO? What would you say to them?
1: Um, I, th- I think the the best piece of career advice I've ever had um, and one that I pass on quite frequently um, from, from one of the best leaders I've ever worked with, really, um, was – to uh, consider your career in terms of what you want to get out of it, but not just in terms of I want to be more senior or I want to earn more money or I want to have bigger impact, but to, to sort of compartmentalise your life into the diff- lots of different areas. So you've got your kind of, um, you know, your family, your, your personal wellness, your your environmental impact, you know, your spirituality even, right? Um, but to sort of understand what it is that you want to get out of each of these spaces and your career will enable... To a greater or lesser extent, um, some or more of these things, and I think taking that very holistic view about where you want to go in your life um, really helps inform even those micro career decisions. You know, the the should I get involved in this initiative in the role that I have right now? Should I be in market? Should I should I be sort of participating in some sort of side gig? You know, um, those those little decisions will all end up to you being in a certain place at a certain time in your life and I think if you have clarity about what you want that to feel like again not just in terms of the job that you have but the overall life that you live um, I think that gives you a framework to help you make those choices that will lead you in that direction Um, and I know it seems very vague but um, I think every day if every decision that you're making is leading you towards where you want to be it's probably quite likely you'll get there.
0: That's fantastic advice. I think I'll take that on board <laughs> myself. <laughs> so finally, then, Dan, you know, we've got um, uh, an interesting year ahead, you know, possibly a change of government and certainly changes in policy that may affect many bis- different businesses. And also, you know, there's looming recession, perhaps, that, that may also may impact um, businesses and, and our employees. So what's important to you in the months ahead?
1: Um, Right now, as in today, uh, the thing that is of paramount importance to me right now is building that great team that will help MTF become the business that it aspires to be. Um, obviously, you know, I've been in the role for five five months. It's it's probably time we started to make some significant change and I, I need an army of people to do that. So um, that, that's, my, that's my primary focus right now. The second piece, um, which comes hot on the heels of that is um, our recent acquisition of The Lending People. It's a huge focus of our business. It's a huge focus of our technology strategy. Um, and integrating that fantastic business into ours in a really productive way and setting ourselves up to be there for our customers and our loan originators uh, for the next next 50 years, right? That, that's, our, that's our real focus. Um, so... Transformation, absolutely, but transformation with real sustainability in mind, building a really resilient business um, that can meet the demands of the next of the next few decades, really. Um, and not wanting to put too much pressure on me and my team, but it feels like what we can achieve in the coming couple of months will set us on the path for this. Um, so like I said at the start, it's an exciting time to be here at MTF Finance.
0: Great to hear. Well, we look forward to hearing more about the the transformation and the acquisition. Dan Wilkinson, Chief Technology Officer at MTF Finance, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks, Kathy.